I uh, uh, thought about what I want if I wanted to title this talk, and I thought it. I I thought of commitment to metta. Metta is the Pali word uh, for loving kindness, and I thought because it's really we're asked in this practice in Buddhist practice to um, face the world with love and face the world with loving kindness. And that's not an easy thing to do. So I think one needs to make a commitment to that uh, if you're going to practice it or have it be meaningful in any way in our lives. And loving kindness, this this has been coming up a lot for me lately um, in conversations with people uh, in sittings and teachings that I've been hearing. Um, I did a bit of a, a, a retreat with Bhikkhu Bodhi last week. He's the uh, he's a, uh, a senior monk in the Thai forest tradition, and one of the things he was talking about was loving kindness. And I was I did a, re, a half day retreat today, and part of what I taught was loving kindness. It's just this really important, and so I wanted to talk about why it's important. Um, how we how we bring it into our world, um, things like that. Uh, where does it come from? Uh, the benefits of it, the necessity, the necessity of it, and so on. So, why I think it's so important is, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi said that the biggest obstacle to success in practice is ill will or anger and resentment, aversion. One of the hindrances, that's the biggest, um, biggest obstacle to our practice. And the antidote for ill will is loving kindness, is that, that, that gentleness, that friendliness, oftentimes compassion, because the heart practices are loving kindness. We, we greet the world with loving kindness, and then sometimes when we see pain, we, we are touched and there's a, a feeling of compassion. If we see... Um, somebody experiencing happiness we have a feeling of joy so with this this demeanor or this uh, embodiment of of loving kindness we can greet the world with equanimity with a balance with a, an awareness and an appropriate response to whatever's going on and so if we are uh, uh subsumed with anger uh, resentment ill will we have that burning coal that's that we're the ones um chewing on that burn, chewing on that coal, that flame that's damaging to us in many ways. And what Meta does is reduces that ill will and anger and promotes goodwill, benevolence, harmony, um, kindness towards all sentient beings. Um, and I think if you even um, think about your, and it's so necessary today, it's so necessary today, there's so much um, vitriol, there's so much divisiveness, there's so much anger, there's so much, um, it's just, ugh, is a, is a word I'll coin. It's just, ugh, right now, there's just really pretty awful. And, um, it's so easy to fall into that place. It's so easy to fall into that place. I had an experience myself just the other day, um, and I'm not an angry person. I, that's not been my go-to. My go-to is run away rather than anger. But the other day I was, I was taking a walk. I was taking a walk in the afternoon and I was getting back to my house and it was Wednesday night. 
which is the night we put out the garbage bins. And so I had the bins out in front of the house. And I said, just as I got back to my house from my walk, there was a guy. He had moved all the bins so he could park. And that fries me. That's like one of those things. I mean, it's like seems like a little thing. But the thing is, there's a gun store around the corner. There's actually two gun stores around two corners. And the lines have been long outside of them since March. And they park on our street and it's hard to get parking and they have no problem moving shit around so they can park. And so I just like zero to 60 in like or 80 or 100 in like no time. And I stood outside his window until he noticed me. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, I was really I don't scream and yell and curse, but I was my voice got high. And and he's just was telling me this and telling me that because I just I um and that didn't feel good. I mean, I can go on and on and on about these gun store people, blah, blah, blah. And blah, but I won't. Um, what I did notice was that I felt crappy. I, I carried it in with me. He was, you know, that was over with and he was gone in 20 minutes. He probably went, did his thing and came back and he was gone. But I carried it. It was with me the next morning. I was carrying it. And I was like and I kept replaying the scenario in my head and thinking of better things I could have said to him. Because he said something and I responded a certain way. And then I went, oh, I thinking the next day, it's like, oh, I should have said that. And it's, it was chewing on me. And I wasn't and I think I was I was aware of it and going, wow, can you put this down? Do you see what's going on? Can you have and it was just really hard. So I think the recognition that this is really a challenging practice we can have it in a lot of times, but I, I know I'm not there 100% of the time. And so if we are not intentionally bringing the idea of loving kindness and goodwill into our lives and intentionally trying to be that way, I think we can go off the rails really easily. People can just kind of spin out without, without too much problem. Um, but loving kindness is what we bring in to um, soothe that. It's like, I don't want to be that person. I could have handled it very differently, but it just, the reactivity was just there in a heartbeat. And I'll talk more about that, that how it, it's easy to go there in a little, a little bit later in the talk. There's a, um, there's a collection, um, this, there's a thing called the, the Visuddhi Maga, which is a, basically a synthesis of the Buddhist teaching, teachings, which was written in several centuries after the Buddha died by um, a monk, Buddha Gosa. And he kind, of, this, he kind of systematized the practice of the heart practices, loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity. And in that, in the Vasudhi Maga, he talks about metta, loving kindness, as the solvent that melts the psychic pollution, pollutants of anger and resentment and offensiveness in ourselves and maybe in others as well, you know. And um, I have to sit with that and others as well. And, and I get it, but I don't want to think that... Um, Loving kindness and these practices are not like magic pixie dust, which a lot of people think it is, where you offer meta to other people thinking they're going to change, because that's not how it works. It's like when people have a bad day and they other people throw meta at them. That's the way it feels like. It's like, oh, I'm having a really bad day. It's like, oh, have some meta. It's like, eh, it's not really kind of how it works. But 
maybe being um, in being that person who is infused with loving kindness can have an impact on others. I see what comes to mind is the civil rights movement in the 60s when the, the nonviolence aspect of the civil rights movement and these people were protesting and demonstrating and the violence that was turned on them. It maybe didn't have an imp the nonviolent re response maybe didn't have an impact on the people who were attacking them, but a lot of other people were impacted by it and their, their hearts were changed. So big picture, that might be how loving kindness and compassion um, melts the toxins for others, but um, it's not in a, in, a, in a magical kind of way. So um, what we want to, want to uh, remember is that it's um, loving kindness brings benefit and hatred brings pain and suffering. It's, I mean, you know, you've been pissed off. How pleasant is that? It's not. It's sometimes it feels like um, I know people who won't let go of grudges and things, but it's like the other person is clueless most of the time. We're the ones who are struggling. We're the ones who are carrying that crap around in our guts, keeping us up at night. And, and loving kindness is really um, important because it's the foundation of so much else that we, we bring, that other qualities that we develop. Loving kindness is part of wise intention in the Eightfold Path. You move through the world with goodwill towards all beings. And you want to cultivate that loving kindness. And it's the root of um, generosity. If we're generous, it's because we have goodwill to others. Um, true generosity, not I have to give this to you because they told me to. Um, it's really that generosity that comes from that, that, that here I want, I want you to have this. Or I want to be with you. Or I want to offer you uh, uh, some time if you, need, if you uh, need to have someone listen to you. Something like that. That generosity comes from that place of goodwill and kindness. Uh, patience, same thing. Patience comes from goodwill um, and brings this, this, this tranquility. When we have this sense of goodwill and loving kindness, and e there's an ease because we're not agitated by anger, um, resentment, which just is like gnawing, gnawing. So um, where does this teaching of metta come from? It's in this, metta is talked about in the suttas, and there's a sutta, um, the Karanian Metta Sutta, where I'm sure many of you are, or most of you are familiar with the Metta Sutta, which is really exquisite. It's, you know, what should be done by all beings, and you are, you radiate kindness, where is it? You radiate to all beings, all beings, omitting none. That's my favorite two words, omitting none. Um, and I'll talk more about um, this in a bit. But the Metta Sutta, there's a story behind the Metta Sutta that is, again, also written down by Buddha Gosa. He said was passed down from the elders for centuries. And it's a, it's a lovely story. It's the, some monks were wanted to do the rains retreat and the Buddha invited them to go find a place to sit. And they found some, a, a beautiful area at the foot of the Himalayas with some trees and there were nearby villages where they could get their alms. And so they moved in and there were devas or spirits living in the trees. And they were very happy to see the monks there. And, um, 
but the devas didn't know the monks were going to be there for three months. They thought they were only going to be there for a couple of days. And the townspeople built them huts and, and you know, were giving them food. And because the, the trees were kind of the root of where the devas lived. So the devas moved out while the monks were there for a couple of days. But then, you know, a couple of days, a week, two weeks, and the devas got annoyed and said, all right, let's become so they they became ghosts and haunted the trees and just scared the monks and the monks went running back to the buddha and and they said uh there's these that we got no it's too scary and so the buddha realized that actually that was the the only place in the entire world that they would become enlightened if they practice if they went to the rains retreat so he gave them the metta sutta and said go back and recite this to them and they went back and they recited the metta sutta to the devas and the devas hearts were gladdened and they welcomed the monks in and after the retreat all the monks were enlightened the 500 monks were enlightened so that's kind of the i love the myth of it it's that's that's the myth around the metta sutta but basically it's that you know you just live this way and you gladden your heart and you gladden the hearts of others because you know if you look at you look at these people like the dalai lama or Thich Nhat Hanh, or lots of other monks who have been practicing for years, and nuns, um, Ayananda Bodhi, Ayasanta Chitta, the nuns from Aloka Vihara, uh, Roshi Joan Halifax, she's been practicing for years. So a lot of these, these monastics who have deep, deep practice, um, they're joyful. They are absolutely joyful, even when there's great suffering. And they are around like the Dalai Lama, who's who, you know, has no country and his people are suffering mightily because of that. There's still a joyousness. There's still a lightheartedness because he I think this teaching is about there is there is suffering. There is pain and there's also joy. So be with whatever is. And so when you incline the mind to be with loving kindness, it's easier to get there. When it presents itself, you can you can you can be with it instead of talking yourself out of it. It's like, how can I be happy when so many people are suffering? It's like because joy is present and you have to say yes to what's present. Be here. Be with it. So that's where that's where uh, that comes from. Um, so how do you do this? How do you do this practice? And and I think probably most of you are familiar with the there are there's the meditation practice for loving kindness where you recite phrases. The traditional phrases are may I be happy, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be safe, um, may my good purposes be fulfilled, and we stay with it. We stay with it, and we offer it to ourselves. We offer it also, this is, this is important, um, we offer it to ourselves, which can be challenging, but we also offer it to people we care about, people we love, neutral people, people, familiar strangers, Sylvia Borstein calls them, people we don't necessarily know too well, but we see around, and then difficult people. And again, this is a practice of doing it to soften our hearts. It's not doing anything to the other people. I hear people say, I've been offering them meta for years and they haven't changed. And it's like, it's not about them changing. It's about you and your heart changing. When I first did meta years ago, I had Sharon Salzberg's book and I kind of did it for a year. 
and I had a guy at the supermarket, it's one of the checkers as my neutral person. And I remember one day walking in there and getting on his line and looking up and seeing him. And I was filled with joy because I saw him. And it was, I had to go, oh man, this is not because of anything he's done. It has to be a direct result of this practice that my heart was, to use the phrases that they use in the suttas, my heart was gladdened when I saw him. And I went, wow, this stuff works because I didn't do anything, he didn't do anything, but I moved my mind, I moved my heart in a particular way. So it's really important to do that. It can be challenging, especially in the West, um, for offering loving kindness to ourselves because we've got so many things that set us up for not being enough. You know, we're just not enough. We've got too many things we still have to purchase in order to be enough, and then that's still not enough. Um, and Bhikkhu Bodhi mentioned that a lot of times it's not in the suttas and it's not traditional in Asia, but in the West, forgiveness has become part of this practice of, of, of loving kindness and compassion. We have to do a forgiveness practice for ourselves, do a forgiveness practice for others because our hearts have become so hardened. We've, be, we've been really hurt. Um, we've been hurt a lot. And it's not that we forgive the actions, but we want to forgive the actors. We don't want to carry that aversion, that really awful, um, debilitating anger, resentment inside of ourselves because it doesn't serve. It doesn't, it doesn't help anything. And it's really important. And, and I'm, um, uh, so that forgiveness is, can be necessary before we can even get to the loving kindness, compassion part. And then, and I was listening the other day also to, I'm doing this thing called the anti-racist table, which is, and they have a 30 day challenge and they send uh, like readings and um, uh, videos and things to watch. It's really excellent. I think I'm like on day 11 or something, but it's like a lot of history, really deep diving into history of racism and, and in the United States. And um, one of the things we had to watch was a, um, a Facebook Live, a Brene Brown Facebook Live from 2017 after Charlottesville, after the the, uh, the death of the march, the white supremacist march and murder of a, of a protester by white supremacists. And um, so she was talking about that. And she was also talking about there needs to be an emphasis on kindness because we cannot dehumanize the other. It's so easy to do that. We paint the other as a cardboard cutout, as a one or two dimensional thing, and we dehumanize them. They're, no, they're so much easier to dismiss. We, we subtract the humanity and they become a, 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 a caricature. You know, you could not have people owning other people unless you had dehumanized them. You could not have the Holocaust with all the murder of the Jews and the, and the Romani and, the, and the, the, the queer, gay, lesbian people if you did not dehumanize them, create a scenario. And that's what happened to me the other night with the guy who parked in front of my house. I immediately said, 
he's he's somebody at the gun store. So I have created this idea of who is buying guns. It's not based on reality. It's based about my ideas of who they are and what they have in their minds. And so that gives me the right in my mind to go bleh all over him because I've dehumanized him. Not to the extent where I can be violent and vicious, but to the extent where I think it's okay to be rude. I can hold him accountable for doing something that he shouldn't be doing without being like all about it either. Um, so that is really an important part of this. There's a real important underlying reason why we don't want to cultivate anger. Anger is, um, I can't remember who said it. I think it might have been Bhikkhu Bodhi. He was talking about anger and hatred. Anger is kind of like a flash in the pan type of thing, but hatred is the thing that lasts, and that's what eats at you, and that's where the dehumanization comes from, and and which leads to horrific actions. Um, or even if we don't commit horrific actions, that dehumanization, that that just dismissing other people because of they're different from us. So we have to make an effort to bring kindness in and weave it through our daily lives. It's incredibly important. Um, and loving kindness is a, an antidote or a, an antidote for dehumanization. And I really like um, Brene Brown makes this point a lot. She talks about um, our job is not, she said, my job is not to make people feel comfortable. Being kind doesn't mean you make them feel comfortable. There's a distinction. She got um, people her pushed back on her because she was holding somebody accountable for something that they didn't do. And they said, how can you shame and blame? And she's like, she's a shame researcher and writes books all about shame and how it doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever. And she said, um, I'm not shaming or blaming. I'm calling somebody out for them not doing their job. People don't have, people are just kind of, um, conflating these things it's saying holding someone accountable is not shaming or bullying it's saying you need to do what you're supposed to do it's like you don't get to move my stuff around that's not okay you know that type of thing so you it's not making people comfortable accountability it's all about accountability and hard conversations that's really what it's about. And she says vulnerability. I love this idea of vulnerability. Vulnerability is not just vomiting your insides on other people. It's not just saying, here's what I did and here's all my, my you know, my deep, darkest secrets. It's about being uncomfortable. That's what it is. It's about being uncomfortable and having hard conversations and being kind and being kind. It's complex. It's not easy. It's also practicing wise speech. You know, wise speech is being truthful and being kind. And if, if you're going to gonna take this practice on as a way of life, you have to bring that into it. It's not about spiritual practice, any spiritual practice. is not about picking and choosing. That's what tends to happen. People pick and choose, well, I like this from this tradition, and I like that from that tradition, and I like this from this tradition. 
and what happens is it's a really surface kind of um, uh, uh, involvement with the practice. Really solid spiritual practice is going deep, not shallow. And it asks us to do things we may not want to do, which may be really difficult to do, like not carry hate in our hearts. You know, anger can be a catalyst for action, but it's not a place you want to live. You don't want to let it to turn into hang, excuse me, turn into anger or a way of being. It's it's not helpful. It's not beneficial to you or others. So it's absolutely um, I think important, it's absolutely imperative to keep kindness at the forefront. It's really important to keep kindness at the forefront. It sounds so weird and foo-foo, but the more I get into it, the more I, um, I realize that there's liberation there. You're not chain to you know sometimes crazy ideas of hating and not hating and you know I, I've told this story a while Ralph you might appreciate this one I grew up in New York and I I'm a baseball fan and I like I like the New York Yankees which means by default I hate the Red Sox it's just a thing um, it's you, you have to it's like genetic and um, I practiced this and I realized a few years ago I did not hate them anymore. You know, I don't want them to win because I root against them, but I don't have that, ah, ah, that it was really, and, I, and if they would win, I would be miserable. And I'm no longer miserable if they win. I'm like sad because my team lost and they won and I want somebody else. But it's like, it's like just kind of bounces off and it's fun and it's so liberating to not have that 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 incredible emotional investment in something that's so painful and um you know and that's just a silly little a silly little example but you know let that ripple out to meaningful things and it's it's if you can let go of that that why do I even think this? You know, sometimes we think things and we don't even know it. We're just conditioned to, oh, that judging. Watch the judging because that's a place of not being kind. So going back to why speech, watch how you talk to yourself as well. Kindness, not just for them, but kindness for you. You know, let go of that vocabulary. That's harsh. Don't call yourself stupid. Don't call yourself dumbass, which I used to call myself all the time. Don't, you know, all these things really let go and be kind to you. Can't hurt to be kind. Again, not a doormat. You're not, your job isn't to make someone comfortable, but you get to be kind. So I'll close with the sutta, which I think is so pretty. The first, and it, I read something and talked about where it's divided kind of into three parts. And the first part is, you know, how you live with loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. 
peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. And then it moves into the next part saying, this is what you do, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great, the mighty, the medium, the short or the small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, born and to be born, May all beings be at ease. That kind of accomplishment, and omitting none pretty much covers it. Um, and then the last section they said is this total commitment to living this way. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing all the time, standing, sitting, walking, lying down, all of those. Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is to said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, like not dehumanizing folks, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born into this world again. That's, that's the, the promise of nirvana, nibbana, the ceasing of this round of birth and redeath because we've let go. So it's... Um, it's uh, it's not easy. I'm not there. I'm much further than I used to be, and I'm grateful for that and no longer embarrassed to talk about that kind of, you know, be kind. Not in that, as I said, that doormat way, but that really fierce compassion, um, fierce kindness. Um, so, my friends, thank you for listening. These are some of my thoughts on this. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology, that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.